Good morning, church. How we doing? Hey. I've got all sorts of iPhones around me. Big Brother is watching. This is a little bit new experience, but we'll have some fun with it. Um, it is great for us to be here in Blue Ridge, back in Blue Ridge. Of course, being with our daughter, graduating, not graduating yet, but uh, finishing her first year. Uh, at, uh, at JMU, so excited about that. Uh, moved her out on Thursday, so then got to come back on Saturday, so that's all good. Um, it is exciting to be here with the church. It's fun to be uh, back in Charlottesville. So what Drew didn't mention is uh, I did spend four years down here, about 30 years ago, at a little university across town. Uh, so it's fun to be back, and I do have proof, I think. Yeah, so, so uh, I did play on the rugby team there, and so this is actually a screenshot from a YouTube video. You've all probably seen it, so uh, you're probably familiar with it. I think there's been at least 12 views, so. And what I'd like to tell you is, uh, you know, I grabbed that pass, Broke the line, ran all the way down the field and scored a try. But the video evidence tells a different story. I'm actually in the process of dropping the ball. But to be fair, you see the guy on the other, you know, just on the edge of the frame, whose like sole purpose in life for that moment is to destroy me. So I probably had something to do with my level of concentration in the moment. But uh, I had a great uh, four years down here back in the 1980s, and 32 years ago, walked, you know, the lawn armed with a history major and ready to take on the world. Right, Drew? You know how that feels. So uh, I had no idea, you know, what I was ready to do or wanted to do and probably didn't care enough about it at the time even, actually. But, uh, you know, the best thing I did in my four years at UVA was I actually started reading the Bible in my second year at UVA. And that really started uh, a journey that ultimately led me to Christ, that, you know, led us, together with my wife Karen, 20 years of ministry and, 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 and mission service around the, uh, around the world. Uh, now we're back in D.C. area. I work sort of the regular day job and do all that. Uh, but... Um, uh, excited to be, you know, watch our kids move on and do greater things. But I never liked that question. And, you know, the graduates among us and those that are getting, you know, you kind of know that question. What do you want to do? Right. Well, what do you want to do? Poor Karen and these, you know, these seniors and fourth year students are probably getting that all the time. Right. So maybe print something up and just hand it to people as, <laughs> as they come by. But what do you want to do? And I never really liked that question because I'm still not quite sure what the answer is for me. Right. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, I'm 50, what, 3, 54, see, there you go, Karen, Karen knows the facts, uh, and I'm still trying to figure that out, so, you know, and I remember, actually, I, I had an interview with Procter & Gamble, and they're like a big, you know, uh, corporation, they sell a bunch of consumer products, and the only reason I had the interview with them as a, as a graduating fourth-year student is they had, they had, like, people embedded, somehow they had, like, 
uh, people that, that, that they, they had gotten to the university and to some of the professors and they said, you know, we want you to recommend people who you think would do, like, are the kind of people that would do this kind of, you know, work and could do well. And apparently a few people thought that, so they kind of put my name in. And so I go in and have this interview. And I remember the guy asked me, he was, well, what do you want to do, like, in five years? You know, it's sort of that standard question. And my problem is I gave him a completely honest answer. You know, and I'm like the little boy in Up. Remember Up, the movie, and they go floating off, and the little kid, and he's like, I just want to, you know, live a life of adventure, and I want to go to South America, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I gave some kind of answer like that. And, uh, and then I looked at him, and there was just like this moment of, like, quiet. And he kind of looks down at his paper, and I notice there's this, just like this little box that he's supposed to fill out with the answer to that question. And he literally looked up at me, and he said, could you see yourself being like a mid-level manager in a sales corporation? I said, oh, you can put that down, I guess, you know. So he, he wrote that in there. I've just never been very good with that question, what do you want to do? I prefer the question, and I want to pose the question for all of us today, what do you want to be? And the question, what do you want to build? See, to me, that's a more exciting question. Uh, and, and, and actually thought, you know, that was kind of how I thought about it even back in 1985. And I try to keep that question in, in front of me. Uh, what do you want to be? What do you want to build? And so we're going to start uh, with that question by going back. And this is what you get when you invite like a history guy to come and talk about uh, the Bible. So we throw a little history in there. So 1893, the Chicago World's Fair. Actually, I did my history thesis, uh, America in the 1890s. I chose America in the 1890s because America had a shorter history than a lot of the other countries. And a lot, seriously, it was like less material to study. So that's, that's what led me to that. But, but there was a very um, seminal World's Fair that happened in Chicago in uh, 1893. It was, uh, they, they, they kicked it off in 92, really opened the doors in 93. It was the 400 year anniversary of, of the, you know, the Columbus uh, arriving on the shores of the New World, and so this was called the Columbian Exposition. Uh, they had top uh, architects and designers like really putting together this brave new world. Uh, cities were really on the rise, uh, industrialization was on the rise, and so you know it was a it was a, a exposition of of the future and and kind of building for the future and building this great city. And so they had a, 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 you see sort of the, the main area there, that's actually a composition of various photos that somebody put together. Uh, the crowds, they had millions of uh, visitors there. It was really the first one that had an international focus. 46 countries, you know, had booze. A lot of the buildings are in the neoclassical architecture. And so the whole idea there was, you know, the idea of, you know, classical architecture, the permanence you know, the truth of geometry and this idea that we're building this kind of this brave brand new world that's going to be uh, better than the old world. And people were excited to, to, to sort of be a part of that. Uh, one of the things was uh, uh, back in the back of that picture, you see a new amusement ride that was invented by George Washington Gale Ferris. And so that was the first Ferris wheel. And the way that it was lit up, so you got to understand, this was new. So the whole idea of like lighting up buildings was, was still a relatively new idea. And, the, and, and really lighting up a whole sort of city center. And there was a big competition between uh, uh, the Westinghouse Corporation, and that was uh, and with the invention and the ideas of Nicholas Tesla. 
and versus Thomas Edison and General Electric, and it was alternating cur current versus uh, direct current. Uh, so Tesla won it, Westinghouse won it, so this was like a big part of it was just kind of lighting up the city, and you could just imagine what that would have looked like in the 1890s to go to this place at night, and you're used to maybe a, 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 a kind of a shabby road, cities were really shabby back then, maybe some gas lanterns, maybe a building would have a light, and then this thing lit up like that was like, wow, look at the future, look at what we are building in this great place. Well... Uh, 27 million people uh, came, and there was a lot of optimism. And then, you know, kind of, the, one of the visitors was uh, a woman named Catherine Bates. And we know her in history as she was the, uh, she wrote the lyrics for America the Beautiful. And so her experience in coming to this and seeing this scene actually inspired, you know, we know the first verse about, uh, oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain. And she was actually on a trip out west going to visit and speak and teach summer courses at Colorado College. So that's where she saw the amber waves of grain and all that. But from her time in Chicago, uh, we get the fourth verse, less known, O beautiful for patriot dream that sees beyond the years thine alabaster city's gleam, undimmed by human tears. And the buildings were all covered in a white stucco. And so you can imagine with the, with the night light and the way that the, the buildings gleamed. And so that when she wrote about alabaster cities, she was really talking about the gleam and the hope and the promise of this very sort of forward-looking uh, idea. Uh, but, you know, what in reality, uh, they didn't even get to the closing ceremonies. They, they canceled the closing ceremonies when the mayor of Chicago was killed two days before the end of the World's Fair. Uh, there was uh, all sorts of other things that were going on. And sort of, sort of the reality of the other side of life and the world kind of came crashing in. And, and sort of this idea, like in Ecclesiastes, it's like, well, you know, no matter what we try, it's like the same again and the same again. And we kind of keep coming back. And, and I know for me, as a graduating fourth-year student in 1985, the big question for me was, what, you know, what do I really want to invest myself into? It wasn't really about, you know, get a job or do this or do that. I, I thought kind of more, where, where do I pour myself into? I want to build something. And what I saw around me just left me not really excited. I don't really want to build a corporation. I don't want to really build the government. I want to really, what do I want to build? And ultimately, God led me to, you know, ministry for years and, 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 and his dream. But I think for, for a lot of us, we can kind of uh, feel that. And, right. and so... This is a, uh, a passage in Hebrews 11 because I think Abraham answered that question for us. If we have that question, you know, where do we want to go with our lives and what do we want to build, whether we're graduating from university or looking at whatever stage of life we're in. And I love this, uh, you know, verse in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Uh, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him with the same promise. And here's the, the kicker, right? For he was looking forward to the city with the foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You know, and Abraham had this vision that really came from God, that his life, even later in life for him, could be about building something grander, building something greater, not, not just of this earth. I mean, he had plenty of cattle and all the worldly success. 
But we have something bigger for you with, with God's spirit and God's message. Of course, Abraham didn't have the GPS that we see up, you know, up on top there. Uh, the thing about Abraham, of course, he wasn't told where he was going when he obeyed and went. So even if they had GPS technology back in the day, it wouldn't have helped because you still need to kind of plug in, like, here's where I'm going, right? And he didn't even have that, not, not, not to mention, like, a lack of directions. And so he was, but he was prepared to go. And he was prepared to uh, just go out on faith for this, to build this city that God had promised, having no idea really what it was going to look like. And then something really, really amazing happens when Jesus comes. And he sort of turns this vision and this promise and this dream. Uh, what did I just do? Okay. I'll just keep going. In, uh, in Ephesians 2, after Jesus, this dream takes a very different form. And it's pretty cool, and it's something that we actually get to join in on. So Ephesians 2, verse 19 says, So then you are no longer foreign and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens uh, with the saints and members of God's household because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself at the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being joined... Uh, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. And, uh, you know, apologies for the picture. I, I threw in Temple University since we were building a temple. And next week we're going up. Uh, Caitlin's sister Jessica is graduating for Temple uh, uh, next week. So we had to throw that one in there. Uh, but the temple, right, is in there. And that is Temple University. Uh, but the, I, I hope we can make this incredible connection between the promise of Hebrews 11 that Abraham was pursuing and then what Jesus turned it into when he came into this world that we read about in Ephesians 2. So this temple, this city, this great building is not some far off place. It's not just heaven, although it includes heaven. It's not some sort of, you know, uh, uh, sort of fairy tale uh, thing that's, that you really can't touch. What Jesus did when he came into the world is he turned that vision and that promise into the church. Amen. And he said, you know what, that temple that God is the architect of and, and he has the plans and he has the designs. Guess what? We get to be a part of that. Not only as builders, but as the material. We've got to think about that for a minute. And do we have something in life that's worth investing in and worth pouring our lives in and making, you know, giving ourselves to? And God says, absolutely. And look around. You're here. That's what he says. This is what you want to build. This is what you want to pour yourself uh, into. Uh, the thing that God has designed. Because everything that man designs, including the little city there in Chicago in 1893... It's, you know, it has a little flash, it has a little brilliance, it has a moment, and then it's like, over. <laughs> right? And then you're kind of back to the same issues, the same challenges, and social challenges, and can't we all get along? And it's like history repeating itself over and over again whenever we just put our hands to it and say, here's how we're going to build it. And then, you know, politically, we go season after season, one side to the other side, one side to the other side. It's this way, it's this way, it's this way, it's this way. And we keep... Repeating ourselves. But the good news is we can get off that merry-go-round and we can get wherever we are. And I, I don't know where we are. You know, some of us, a lot of us have made the decision, this is where I want to be, this is where I want to build. But then the question and the, que and the challenge will be, how much are we really 
giving our heart and time and focus uh, to building God's city, God's building, God's temple. Nothing else in life is worth our time and worth our energy and effort like this. So we go back to the Old Testament and we look at this story about one of the most entertaining prophets, I would say, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah. You ever hear the term like physical comedian, you know, somebody who like trips over stuff, knocks things down. It's just kind of funny because of the way they sort of act. And, and Jeremiah, in a way, was a physical prophet because a lot of what God had him to do involved him like getting up and like lying down at the gate for weeks to show, you know, God's kind of message to Jerusalem. All these really crazy stories. And this is one of those stories. And I keep having to look back at the slide because we're in a low light situation here. And uh, if I put my reading glasses on, then I can't see you. So I'm trying to do the best of everything here. So here's Jeremiah 18. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and, I, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him, the potter, working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. The potter. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you Israel? And guess what? Israel means the spiritual nation. That means the people of God, those in Christ. You are Israel here. You are in this verse. Can I not do with you Israel? As this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. And just put your name in there. And put Blue Ridge Church of Christ in there. And if you're kind of waking up to this, it, it probably should make you feel like different things. On the one hand, don't we love the idea of being in God's hands? You know, yes, that's, that's what I want. That's what I need. God's hands and holding me and helping me and guiding me. We say that. We sing that. We pray that. But then we go, oh, wait a minute. Sometimes His hands start moving and pressing and squeezing and reshaping like the potter does with the clay. And then we're like, ow! Wait a minute. I'm not sure that feels good. That's painful. Why is this happening? This isn't working the way that I wanted to. I like that temple idea. Can we go back to that slide? You know, I'll take one of the top floors. And God says, no, 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 no. you got to understand something here. I'm the potter and you're the clay and there's some work to do. And here's one of the reasons I think it's very hard for us, I think particularly today in our, in our, our world today. It's because we have so many things that we can just have right away. That's kind of how it is, right? I mean, with, you know, especially with technology, uh, we already kind of have it in us, and we can have this sort of expectation, right. you know, like, uh, particularly in America, like, okay, we're, you know, customer first, and, and, and we're, you know, we're going to build the economy around you, and, and, and you know, you're going to be good, we're going to take care of you, we get this idea, we can get whatever we want right away, you know, and so 
we come up with a thing like Amazon. And Amazon's like, I don't need to go to the store. I can get it, mail it, you know, do the thing. It'll come in a couple of days. Oh, no, wait, I can get it at Amazon Prime, and I can get it tomorrow. Oh, wait, I live in one of the select market cities where they're doing same-day delivery. So now I can order it and get it within two, three hours. And it just more and more, this idea, like, in so many areas of our life, if we take stock, is this idea that we get things right away. You know, we don't, most of us don't grow our food. You know, we don't go out and hunt, you know, for our, our meat, if we're, if, for our protein, right? We go to the store, somebody's done all that work for us. We just need to, you know, pick it up, and hit the register, and it's not fast enough to use a credit card. So now we have to have something on our phone that somehow does it faster, they say, I don't know. But this whole idea of things taking time. And that there's a process. We just don't experience the process a lot of times. Although the students, you're experiencing the process. You're feeling it, right? Education, they didn't just hand you a degree, right? It's like, no, I, I'm with you on that. I'm feeling it, right? The pain and the shaping. Uh, but, but God is at work, right? And so it's just, it's, it's, it's something we really need to capture and really need to, to, to own. Um, And, and as we ask that question, what do we want to be? And I hope we can come up with a good answer and that God gives us a great vision. We've got to understand that there's a path that we need to go. And every story you read in the, the Bible, like they never take the most direct route. You ever notice that? Like, did you realize that's what you signed up for? Did you not see how Israel got to the promised land? Check the map in your Bible or I'll go online. It's like the most indirect, crazy roundabout route because God had work to do on them. You know, Jesus going to the cross, he could have gone straight to it, but there was work to do, even on Jesus, who learned obedience from what he suffered, Hebrews tells us. Amen. Come on. So Jesus had to go that path. Who are we to think we can go around and get a different path and get that straight way? And, you know, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I'm sure there's different things for different people. I'm here to address how are we thinking about it? How are we seeing it? And are we finding God in it? Because absolutely God is at work. And his work is good work. His work is the best work. And there's, I promised Caitlin I would have points because, no, I can't go forward. I think I, can you go forward? I think I hit, hit the wrong button. Yeah. So our three points are simply this. Simply this. Go down to the potter's house. Keep the clay soft and fill your jar with true tre- treasure. What does it mean to go down to the potter's house? You know, it's interesting. God literally said, like, he didn't just tell him a story. He said, look, go there. Like, he told Jeremiah to go. See, when we see things and we experience things and we touch things, it's a lot deeper lesson than if we just read about it or somebody tells us about it. Right? So he tells Jeremiah, I want you to go see this. I want you to watch the potter with the clay in his hands as he's forming and then he gets the wrong form something something goes wrong and he clumps it all back together and he makes it you know starts reshaping it slowly you know into a new form and that's what Jeremiah is seeing when God gives him the lesson about you are clay in my hands 
The nation is clay in my hands. The church is clay in my hands. So we need to go to the potter's house. That's the first point. For Jeremiah, he literally went down to the potter's house. For us, it's really about getting a spiritual perspective. Going to the potter's house means going to get a spiritual perspective on whatever is going on in our lives. And understanding that we're in the middle of something that God is doing. And we probably don't see it. We don't know what the final form is going to look like. But we get our mind and our heart around the idea that God is at work. God is up to something. And I just need to trust Him. I need to walk with Him. I need to hang in there with Him. I need to be open and get help. And make sure I don't go the wrong way with some of the things that I'm feeling. All that stuff. But going to the potter's house means seeing that God is at work. You know, at dinner last night and walking around the mall a little bit, getting to know these guys better. Drew and Jenny, it's great. Really enjoy getting to know them. You guys are really blessed to have them here. Absolutely. And Drew was sharing. He's very open. One thing I really appreciate about Drew, he like very open and he asks a lot of questions. And that's that's those are great qualities. And so he was he was sharing about some challenges, you know, a couple years before last year, something like that. And just talking about the no discipline seems pleasant at the time verse, right? And that's kind of the same idea. And just, you know, how a brother had, you know, brought that scripture to him when he was going through some hard things. And, you know, just getting that spiritual perspective that God is at work. Let's go to the potter's house and see uh, God is at work. And God's work sometimes takes time. It takes time, and we are not in control of the time, and we're not in control of the form. We are just, in, and we'll get to this in my second point. Why don't we go ahead and go there? We're there now. What we're in charge of is the clay. Sorry if you were hoping for a better job. Go to the next slide if you would. I've done something to this. Our job is to be the clay. Now, maybe we had applied for the potter position. That sounds like more fun. I get to be in charge. I get to design it. I get to make it awesome. I get to make me the way I want to be me. And I, in fact, can make you the way I want you to be. And I can make all of us the way that I want to be. And we get rejected. We don't even get an interview for that position. Darn, that was a good one. God comes back and says, I already got a job for you. You're the clay. You're the clay. What's the job of the clay? Is to be soft. And to stay soft. So that the potter can do his work. See what happens if the, if the clay gets hard. The potter can't shape it. And the only way to remake it is to have to break it. And God will do that if he needs to. That's his love. But that makes it a lot harder. Our job, we can make it easier, is if we stay soft. You know, the potter, if you, you know, I remember doing it in camp like 100 years ago. Right? You're always adding water to the clay. Always adding water to the clay. You have like a bowl of water right next to you because you've got to keep the clay soft as you're shaping it and spinning it and wheeling it and, and, and shaping it. We need to keep the clay soft. And, and I, I, you know, there's lots of things that could go on this list of uh, clay softeners. I chose these. Um, maybe because they're the ones I need. I don't know. Humility. Really, humility is the first. 
It's the way that we can stay soft is, is, is really to, uh, to be humble. Um, let me see. I will use my glass. Oh, here it is. But now, Colossians 3, 8, and then the second part of verse 12. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so before we even get to the humility part, there's this get rid of all that anger part. And I don't know if this is just for the guys. But maybe it's especially for the guys. Or maybe it's just especially for me. But we can just get get mad at stuff. You know, it's not working the way we see it, envision it. You know, we think we're the potter and all this other stuff. And we get mad at a lot of stuff. We get mad when, you know, the kids are acting out or things aren't working out. And, and we just get mad at stuff. You know, the famous, uh, I've heard it said, you know, men have two emotions, right? Yeah. Out of touch and angry. <laughs> Mostly the women laughing on that one. I uh, and the thing about anger is it just makes us hard. That's why we got to get rid of the anger and the malice and thinking badly about others, the slander, talking down about other people. All of that stuff hardens the clay. Yeah. Ours and others. Yeah. And so it starts there. You know, we've got to get rid of that stuff. You know, whatever we need to do to get help, that's not a quick fix. Some, some of this stuff can be deeply rooted, but do the work. Because we can't get to the, net, to the next level and talk about the other things until we get rid of. That's what God says. That's what the scripture says. You got to get rid of that anger. You know? And, you know, my father used to say, well, we, when we try to set others on fire, the only one who gets burned is you. Mm-hmm. You know, I just do that in there. Yeah. <laughs> Same father who taught me to count to 10 when I was a little kid with a big attitude. You know, throw my tennis racket when it didn't go the way it wanted to go and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, so I relate to this. So we get rid of the anger, but then we, now we've got more of an open space to put in the, uh, the compassion, the kindness, uh, the humility um, that we desperately, desperately need. And the Bible says, clothe yourself. So we understand, right? This is not a new verse. It's an action. We have to do it. It's like getting clothed. We do every day, I suppose, I hope. Uh, and, and with our spiritual sort of qualities, every day we need to be in the Bible. We need to be in prayer. We need to be talking with other Christians and, and sharing our struggles and our sins and confessing and repenting. All of these basic Christian things, what are they there for? They're not just like rules. It's like this is a lifestyle to keep us soft. God teaches us. He shows us the way to stay soft. And so uh, getting advice, you know, getting feedback. And how are we coming across? You know, it's a, it's a good question to ask uh, people. Uh, serving, reaching out to others where we're putting other people in the middle and putting ourselves on the outside, getting uncomfortable. All those are great uh, humility uh, for our humility. Uh, the next clay softener is, uh, is curiosity. Curiosity. Proverbs 9, 9. I love this. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the, teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. So this whole idea that we kind of graduate, we have this body of knowledge and, and now we've you know, attained this level and, and then that, you know, maybe graduate school after that attained this kind of higher level of knowledge and we're experts in, 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 in something. 
the way we kind of think of the world is not really like that in God's view. He said, you know what I want you to do is just be forever curious. Uh, Be a learner forever, which I find very exciting, actually. Uh, I think it's a part of the excitement of of really what it means to be a disciple, that we get to learn and and change and grow for the rest of our lives. But that curiosity uh, where we're asking questions and we're, you know, uh, knowing that in so many cases we don't know is curiosity and humility, right? Where, where we question ourselves, not our convictions, but the way we think about it. Yeah. Knowing I've got a lot of biases inside of me. I've got you know, my own experiences that are sort of coloring the lens through which I look. And so I need to you know, question myself even uh, as I think about this or this situation or this, this person or this in- interaction. All of that comes with humility and comes uh, with curiosity. Uh, and, and, and in God's eyes, these are great, important qualities um, that, we, that when we uh, exhibit, it just keeps us soft. But what we might think is, okay, if, I just, if I'm the humble person and I'm the curious person, then I'm in a good place, right? And that's why we had to throw the third one in here, right? Because if we can't just like, oh, I'm humble. I'll go stand in a corner. I'm not going to really talk to anybody, bother anybody. You know, I'm not going to hurt anybody. I'm not going to make any mistakes. Um, I'm, I'm going to be curious. I'll come to church. I'll read my Bible. I'll continue to learn theoretical things about the Christian life, which is what it is if we don't make decisions, take actions, and take risks. That's the third one, risk-taking. And I reference Peter here because I think he's a great example of what happens when you're a risk-taker in the Lord. You know, Peter, I mean, we get so many stories. We laugh at Peter, sinking, you know, stepping out of the boat, sinking in the water, you know, uh, you'll all fall away. Not me, I'm with you, Jesus. All those stories where Peter was just out there. But the great thing about Peter is he was just out there. And he was honest and he was passionate. And, and he, he made decisions of faith. And his sin was so obvious that he was able to repent and get help and to grow. But as Christians, we can't be people who just come to church. We can't be people that are just good at showing up and good even at reading our Bibles. We are called to a life where we step out. Think about your life right now. Is the issue of not growing more than you're growing, is it because you don't know enough to do or you don't do enough with what you know? Mm-hmm. And I know it's, you know, for me, it's very much the second. And sometimes I worry when we get into this mode of I show up every week and then midweek and I just take my notes and we've got to, that's all just to get us loaded. <laughs> and then we go out and live it, right? And so we've got to make decisions. We've got to push out ourselves. And again, what will come with that is some embarrassment, uh, some, you know, sharing your faith, getting kind of called out for that, uh, failing, making mistakes, you know, which in my sinful nature I don't like to do. I like to keep it in order. I like to do well and be seen as doing well. And God says, no, throw yourself out that, fall down and, on those decisions of faith. And then what the church needs to be is there to help pick each other up. Not pointing and going, look, I told you if you went and tried that and, you know, this share with 10 people and, you know, whatever, confess every day. Or I told you that wouldn't work out. You know, we could be the naysayers. 
And what we need to be is cheerleaders. And go and, and be there when, when, when each other are down and uh, pick each other up and pray together because it's all about being soft. It's all about being soft. Why don't we go to the next slide? See what we have. Because in the end, and I love this verse, and this is where the whole idea of this message came from, um, titled Jars of Clay, right? But we have this treasure in Jars of Clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You know, and here's a picture of you know, different pots, different forms, you know, different s- shapes and sizes. You know, that's the way it is in the church. You know, we take different forms, we're different colors, different shapes, different sizes, and that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. But what we are then, and what is God is forming, He's forming the temple, right, in sort of the collective sense, but at an individual sense, what He's forming is a jar of clay. And in the end, a jar of clay is not that impressive. Sorry. You know, I might have lost you at clay, and then it went to jar of clay, and like, wow, really, thanks, that's fine. It's not that impressive on the outside. But what's extremely powerful and extremely impressive of when it's a jar of clay that God has made, the potter has wheeled, is what's inside. It's all about what's on the inside. And what I have here are some pictures of a sister in our house church, Kathy Cruz, was baptized uh, three years ago. A great sister, you know, uh, very uh, advanced in her career. She was an engineer working at Boeing. Uh, one of the brothers who works at, uh, what's that? Yeah, Christian, Christian's dad reached out to Kathy over, in, over at, at Boeing. Um, and, you know, the, one of the brothers in, our, in the North region, he's an aerospace engineer at another company, and he was going to visit Kathy, and there was this book on her bookshelf that she, you know, they said, oh, I have that same book on my office desk, you know, and they started talking about it. And she said, well, go look at chapter nine or whatever it was. He opened it up. She had written the chapter. <laughs> so, you know, pretty smart cookie. Uh, great lady. Um, it's such a joy to have a, a young Christian in your fellowship. But very early on uh, in her time with us, within months, I think, she was uh, diagnosed with cancer. And over time, you know, that jar of hers really started to get more brittle. Uh, it started to lose color. You know, uh, on the outside, her, her clay, we kind of knew time was kind of, you know, coming, you know, for her. But the amazing thing about Kathy is what she had on the inside. She had filled it, you know, with love and with faith and with God. She was curious. She was soft so that even as an advanced professional later in life with kids in and out of college, she was willing to humble herself, study the Bible, see what God says, be willing to be soft clay in his hands, get baptized into Christ as a disciple. Amen. And even when she was sick and even when she was in the hospital, story after story of, you know, who she, she was praying for other people. She's helping her kids with, you know, stuff that they needed, you know, help with, uh, young adults. Uh, she was, she was, I just want to be used by God. Any conversation anybody had with her, you try to find out how she's doing. That lasts for a little while. She turns around and she starts probing and asking really thoughtful questions. And she's helping you wow. even while she's dying from her cancer. And so we, you know, we had a memorial service for her a few uh, weeks ago. And the theme of it was jars of clay. Wow. And that's where really God put it on my heart. Because when you're at a funeral, what matters really comes to the surface. Yeah, it's not all this superficial stuff. It wasn't even really the professional stuff. 
It was all about the spiritual stuff. Yeah. It was all about the qualities of heart and life and, 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 and that, that God had put into Kathy's jar and Kathy had let God put into her jar. And I was just so inspired. You know, I got to uh, do uh, eulogize her and share the message at the memorial service. And it was a joy and a privilege to do so because uh, she was just a great example to me of what this life is all about yeah. Yeah. and what God is forming. And so for us, as we think about, you know, go to the potter's house, now, that means go wherever we are. Go make sure we go to the potter's house and f- see God and see that it's God's hands that are working in some way in our lives. Our job, the second point, is to be the clay and to stay soft. The humility, the curiosity, the willingness to take risks, and then the end to fill that jar of clay with God's treasure. And then to use that to pour it out on other people. Because that's how God has created us to be. And that's the life he has designed for us to build. And that is absolutely the life that's worth uh, investing our lives into. And so I'll close out. Karen, my wife, is going to share a song that sort of takes us through that journey of being on God's potter's wheel. Thanks, guys. Amen. So 
Amen. Uh, let's stand up for one final song. Uh, let's just uh, also give another round of applause for the Omaze. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome.